today on Ag News Daily. About this time last year. Uh, and, and that has an influence on you know, how farmers plan for their depreciation and how they plan for their investment. For this Friday edition of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined as always by my co-host Delaney Howland. Delaney, how you feeling today? Um, I'm a little sniffly. I gotta, I gotta admit. Got a little bit of the cold, huh? Yeah, something. I guess it must Hopefully be cold because it's... it's not allergy season. No, shouldn't be allergies. Hopefully, it's not the flu. That's been making its rounds. I already had the flu or stomach flu, so I don't need that again. No, but you could always get it again. There's more than one strain. I don't want it. No, thank you. All right. Well, hopefully that's not what you have. What do you have in the way of news today before we get to our Friday conversation? Well, geez, I tell you what, it's another slow news day here on this Friday afternoon. I want to kick it off with a little bit of news related to the government. So as we know today, of course, we're still in government shutdown. This is day 21, I believe. Tying the longest shutdown yes. ever. Yeah, I think as of... So wait, does tomorrow count as the longest then, or is it Monday? I'm not sure what the date would be. Ooh, good question. Is it just business days, or is it all days? Yeah, I don't I'm know. Sure. Anyways, today is supposed to be the day a lot of federal workers would be getting paychecks, but of course, government shutdown, no paychecks, etc., Um, We do have a little bit of news, though, finally going on in D.C. House Democrats are moving a series of fiscal 2019 spending bills through, and they have passed a in a near party line vote, 243 to 183 vote. Um, They passed a couple of funding bills. Now they're kind of turning it over to the... uh, Senate to see what they will do, the Republican-controlled Senate. However, no signs have been shown yet of any of the three funding bills passing in the Senate. So we've seen some moves happen in the House, but nothing really in the Senate yet. But despite what passes the House or the Senate, if President Trump doesn't like it, he can still issue a veto. Yes, that's correct. And we're still, I think, waiting to see what happens with this funding the wall business. That is the big question. What happens with the wall? Yeah, that sounds very daunting well, how you said that there. Well, I think it's supposed to sound daunting. I think that's uh-huh. part of the uh, the Trump administration's plan is let's make this a daunting wall. Or initially, they wanted to make it concrete with spikes on top. Okay, this is really funny. I saw this meme on Instagram yesterday. Um, making It was kind of making fun of President Trump. And I'm not trying to make fun of President Trump. I just thought it was a really funny meme. It was basically him giving like a commencement speech at a graduation said, never, ever give up. Don't give up. Don't allow it to happen. Cross the wall, climb the wall, get over the wall, whatever you have to do. Keep moving forward. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, I saw that too. Kind of ironic, you know. Yep. Now he's pushing for the, the concrete wall. That's right. Although a steel slat wall, I think, is where they stand today on negotiations. Yes. Oh, really? Yep, that's uh, that's the latest round, or the latest uh, conciliatory gesture from the Trump administration. Rather than doing concrete, do steel slats. And Interesting. I don't know if it's made much headway. Interesting. Despite the government being shut down, the EPA was able to issue a news release today, and they said they are going to complete the rule to allow E15 sales year-round, despite the partial government shutdown. So we should yes. still be poised to see E15 be available year-round at gas pumps, 
when we get into these summer months. That is uh, potentially good news for America's corn growers and ethanol producers. Going off of what you said, but one of the the spending bills that the House passed on Thursday night was to reinstate the USDA and the FDA. Oh, okay. Well, that'd be good, I guess. Yes. So Yeah, get them back to work. Right. Not the EPA, though, so I'm not sure um, how the E15 thing would shake out if we don't have them back in session. They're planning, they've got enough employees that they're still going to issue that rule in time. According According to the administration's press release, they plan to have the rule published by February and approved by June. Okay, that's a tall order to fill. We'll see if they can do it. We'll see. What other news do you have for us, Delaney? Um, A little bit of news coming out today from the EU in relationship to wheat acres for uh, 2019. The four largest wheat producers in the EU are expanding their wheat sowings partly because of the dry weather, which prevented rapeseed planting. So in France, we're seeing winter soft wheat plantings for 2019 crop up 3.5% year over year to about 5 million hectares. In Germany, which is the second largest producer, we're seeing those winter wheat plantings up 4.6% year over year. Rapeseed acres in general are estimated to be down 18% year over year in the uh, EU. And Britain's wheat acres will also increase as well as Poland's. Okay, so we'll be seeing more wheat come out of the EU as we look ahead to next year. Now, I've also got some EU news for you, Delaney. All right, let's hear it. This is Brexit-related news. Mm. Apparently, the second most important crop in Britain after wheat is malting barley for making delicious beverages. Of course. And they are not able to ship that – they're not able to sign futures contracts for delivery – For the future, because the EU, which is where most of the malting companies are located, are afraid to buy from British growers due to Brexit. They don't know what kind of Mm. uh, trade constraints are going to be put on. So these British farmers are having to pass on very appetizing bids for malting barley. And needless to say, it is leaving them very frustrated. We've got a a German malting barley trader who said, quote, It is certainly true that German importers are not currently buying British malting barley. This is because of the uncertainty with Brexit or with no Brexit or whatever. End quote. Uh. (laughs) They're just kind of frustrated with the way the whole situation is working itself out. And, you know, I don't usually think of Brexit as having agricultural impacts, Mm -hmm. but it certainly does for farmers in Great Britain. Well, I think it certainly does, too, when you look at trade relationships between the U.S. and Great Britain, because... Kind of when the Brexit stuff was starting to come about, I think earlier this fall, we got news that, okay, maybe Great Britain would be a new potential trading partner for us, especially when we look at beef. Now it's like the EU is stepping in and saying, hey, you can't do that. We don't want that to happen. So I think agriculture is affected there and here both. Yeah, yeah. I think you're you're probably right about that, Delaney. Do you have any other news for us? Um, one other quick piece of news here, going back to talking about the wall. President Trump changed his uh, claim of Mexico paying for the wall directly and stated that the country will do so indirectly instead via the USMCA agreement. Yes, I saw that floating around. He uh, made those comments yesterday, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he said something to the effect of, look, when I said Mexico was going to pay for the wall, I didn't mean they were going to write us a check. 
But I think to a lot of listeners at his rallies, and I know we heard him say it at the uh, Council Bluffs rally, that was certainly the impression that was given, was that uh, he was going to go down and solicit a check for Mexico and put that towards the building of the wall. That was absolutely the way I understood it, too. And maybe the media has taken it a little out of context. But, yeah. I'm sure they have. Yeah. Well, I just have one other piece of news while we're talking government stuff. For those of you listeners who drive a lot, and I know a lot of folks in agriculture, we like to be sure we write off our mileage on our annual taxes. I've got some good news. The IRS has increased the standard mileage rate used to calculate deductible costs of operating a business mo- uh, car. It is now 50 Eight cents per mile, up wow. to fifty-four and a half. So a big jump for yeah. two thousand and nineteen. Heck yeah! Start charging that mileage, baby. Darn right, darn right, and be sure you write it off at the end of the Absolutely. year. That is half the key. That's right. Well, Delaney, if that does it for news, I say we jump into the markets and then have our conversation with Kurt Blades about machinery, looking ahead to two thousand nineteen. Let's do that, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Give them a holler right now. Don't delay. Get a marketing plan in place and use their risk management skills to manage that risk on your bottom line. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. In the grain markets, we've got some green on the screen. March corn up two cents on the day at 378 and a quarter. The May contract up two and a quarter to finish at 386 and three quarter. In soybeans, the January contract up three and three quarters at 899 and a quarter the march up three and a half cents to close at 910 and a quarter in chicago wheat the march contract up five and three quarter cents at 519 and a half the may up five and a quarter to finish at 525 even jumping over to the world of livestock we've got oh, just trading both sides of unchanged here in the cattle complex february live cattle up a dime at 124.9750 the april up 45 at 126.3750 in feeder cattle the january contract down 62 and a half cents at 146.1250. The March down 17 and a half at 144.90. And in lean hogs, the February contract dropped a dollar 42 and a half today at 62.65. The April was down 50 cents on the day to close at 67.35. A quick look over at the dairy industry. January class three milk down a penny at 14.07 with the Feb up three cents to finish at 14.48. Without further ado, let's take it over to a conversation we had this morning at the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Well, we're going to be looking at 2018 and 2019 when it comes to equipment and manufacturer sales, talking with Kurt Blades, the Senior Vice President for Agriculture from AEM. Kurt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you for having me. Kurt, I want to start out here. For those folks that don't know what AEM is, can you give us kind of the 10,000-foot view of what you guys do? Perfect. Uh, Yes, the uh, AEM stands for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We represent the the interest of the industry and the manufacturers of five different sectors, ag, forestry, mining, utility, uh, and construction, uh, construction and forestry. And, uh, you know, I oversee the ag and forestry side. Part of what we do as, as, uh, uh, as AEM is we advocate on behalf of our, of our members for the industry, good things in the industry. But another thing that we do specifically uh, related to this conversation is that we track uh, sales of equipment. And we use that to, uh, to help our members sort of make some business decisions on what trends are going to look like for the equipment industry. 
And that is exactly what we wanted to talk to you about. Of course, yesterday you released the uh, Ag and Tractor Combine report looking at sales for December of 2018 and year-to-date heading into December. And I'm not an expert in reading the information you guys have published here. So break it down for us. It looks like we had a pretty strong December of uh, sales. You know, we've had a, I, I think the, the best way to say is a, a pleasant surprise in the way the numbers have, have held strong throughout 2018 for tractor sales in pretty much all categories. And I say surprising because, you know, there's no secret. It's kind of, it's kind of tough out there in farm country with commodity prices and some uncertainty, uh, whether it is related to trade or whether it's related to RFS or steel tariffs or whatever it is, there is some real uncertainty out there. So when we've been seeing the numbers uh, come in every month, we've been pleasantly surprised with, you know, year over year, um, you know, holding steady and in some cases growing and certainly month over month uh, uh, growing uh, in terms of the tractor and combine sales. One thing that jumped out to me about or from this report in particular was the U.S. sales of self-propelled combines gained almost 30 percent month over month in December compared to last year. What do you see as the future for self-propelled combines? And I guess to back up there just for a second, when we say self-propelled, does that just mean driverless combines or auto steer? Actually, we use, you know, that's a legacy term, sort of like uh, uh, when we refer to self-propelled combines, that that will stick stem back from a number of years when we've been tracking uh, combines. But basically, it's what folks would refer to as a traditional combine. Now, okay. in answer to your, to your comment about the... Uh, the numbers, uh, yeah, about a 30% jump year over year in December. Um, that's, you know, that's interesting. You know, one month is not a trend make. I think what's more interesting to look at for the self-propelled combines is the total number for the year. And we saw about an 18% jump in self-propelled combines, uh, you know, 18 versus 17. Uh, and that, that, there's a couple of things that you can point to on that. I mean, our members have told us that for the, for the year, we're in a replacement market. And what that means is that, uh, you know, folks are just simply replacing their, their equipment because it was just time. Maybe they had deferred the purchase too long, and it finally just, just came to where it made sense. But a couple of other things are coming into play, specifically in the combine market that's, that's worth noting. Uh, one, there's been some new models come out there, and that tends to sort of influence the market uh, here and there. Um, Number two is, uh, you know, there's a delayed harvest, a late harvest. And I think you could probably point to those December numbers as saying, you know, I, I know my family farm up in, uh, in Missouri, we were harvesting soybeans the week of Christmas, finished harvesting soybeans the week of Christmas. That makes you pretty nervous. And then they should sort of reconfig- reconsider your equipment configuration, perhaps even uh, looking at if there's something available, making a purchase to, to help alleviate that last minute harvest to get it out before, before Christmas time. So there's a number of factors that come into play on that self-propelled combine market. But what that also points to, self-propelled combines as well as four-wheel drive tractors, those are considered purchases. You know, a farmer doesn't wake up tomorrow and say, I want to buy a combine. It's a pretty, pretty expensive piece of equipment. So they've got to feel some degree of certainty or some degree of certain, uh, certainty about the, you know, the future of their farm business, the future of the farm economy, maybe the future of commodity prices. So that I think that's a pretty good indication of where farmers' attitudes are, uh, you know, with a strategic view of, of uh, certainly the current uncertainty in, in commodity prices and trade negotiations. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you, you're exactly right. People don't wake up and say, oh, you know, I think I'll go drop half a million dollars on a combine today. I'm just in the mood. You know, yeah. it's you're right. It's one of those things that requires some some a lot of forethought and talking to a lot of different people. Now, on the flip side of that, the smaller two wheel drive under 40 horsepower tractors, those have been shining. It seems to me for a number of years as more and more people move out to the country, you know, you've got your hobbyist, so to speak. I've got a couple sub 40 horsepower tractors here at the Pearson Ranch. Um, how much longer can that trend continue? Well, I tell you, you know, it's funny you just said it, Mark, because uh, there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of under forty horsepower tractors out there that, that never necessarily see a field, or certainly don't <laughs> see uh, anything that looks like agriculture. But I think you can say that you know that's been a hot market for a, for a number of years. But what you want to point to specifically on that? That's if you look at the trends of all of the equipment minus the under forty horsepower, it almost one to one matches the farm economy. Uh, on a graph basis. When you include the under 40 horsepower, because of the sheer volume of those tractors, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily compute. However, if you isolate the under 40 horsepower and compare it to the overall sentiment of the economy, it's absolutely a one-to-one. So long story, I think um, those, those numbers that we're seeing on the under 40 horsepower are a pretty good indication of where Folks that uh, uh, maybe have some uh, some tax relief, or maybe they just have a little bit more disposable income because the economy's been strong, and they're using that to invest in something like a like a self-propelled uh, or like a, like an under forty horsepower tractor. So just let me make sure I got that right. There, the under forty horsepower market tracks the broader economy, and the forty horsepower and larger self-propelled combine market combined tracks the ag economy. Is is that what you just said? That's uh, that's. As a a general rule, that's absolutely on point. I'll be darned. That is interesting. Well, so then let's take those 40-horsepower tractors out of the equation. Let's look at the broader category. Are you seeing the slowdown when you look at the things as a whole that the ag economy would have expected this year? Well, I I was, uh, again, pleasantly surprised every month as these numbers would come out. I kept looking for the market to fall out. Um, but the numbers necessarily didn't didn't reflect that, and I think that that really speaks to the strength of the replacement market. And and uh, you know if we would have seen some economic markets, or if we would have seen you know the farm economy booming, who knows what those numbers could have looked like. But I think it really sort of points to you know as much as anything, we were at such a low, and we've been at such a low for the last number of years that it just sort of finally. It, 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 you know, showing a little bit of signs of life. And, and frankly, if somebody is on a, you know, let's say they're on a, a three-year cycle to replace their equipment and they decided to defer that to a four-year or even a five-year, at the end of year six, it's kind of getting to the point where they're looking to buy new equipment. And so they're looking to replace that equipment. I think that's what we're seeing more than anything else in, in these, these strengths of numbers um, uh, that as, they've, as they've held out through, uh, through, through 2018. Now, there's obviously there's there's different factors that come into play, but if you were to point to one thing in particular, I think that would be the uh, the, the, the general sentiment is that we're still in a in a replacement market for now. I want to ask a little bit more about that. So we're in a replacement market. We chatted with a gentleman a couple months ago who follows machinery trends well or pretty well, as and said also that we were in this replacement market. What? year or period are we at in the replacement market? Are we at the point where most farmers are 
getting ready to trade in or most farmers have already kind of filled that replacement need and are starting now to have newer equipment? Where do we sit, I guess, in that in that trend? Well, I, I would love to be able to give you a definitive answer on that particular <laughs> one, and I would maybe make some investments one way or the other. I think we're probably... Uh, uh, so I think it's safe to say that, that the replacement market is going to continue for at least for the foreseeable future. Um, uh, and there's a number of things that come into play there. I mean, technology is certainly one of the drivers, um, you know, as new models come out or as, or as precision ag becomes something that, that a farmer wants to incorporate into their, into their operation, all of a sudden they may find themselves wanting to replace a lot of equipment at a different time frame than they normally, normally would have. The other thing that comes into play when we talk about the replacement market are the tax implications. We saw some great tracks, uh, some great goodies for the machinery manufacturers in that uh, tax bill that happened, you know, about this time last year. Uh, and, and that has an influence on, you know, how farmers plan for their depreciation and how they plan for their investment. And I think it just sort of comes into, uh, it, it's part of the equation. There's no one silver bullet. But the short answer to your to your question is I think it's going to continue at least for the foreseeable future. One thing we also like to look at is Canada. Uh, the Canadian market was sort of a leading indicator of this replacement market in the US. Uh, it, it started to see that replacement market show up about six months before uh, it started to, sh to show up in, in the US. So having said that, there is some softening of the Canadian market just a little bit. I don't know if that if that trend will continue, but it is worth noting that uh, Canada was a leading indicator of this replacement market, you know, about this time last year. Interesting. Now, Kurt, we've been talking quite a bit about the retail side, getting those machines out and at, into the hands of farmers and the public. But on the other side, these manufacturers, of course, are huge consumers of steel. And we've seen steel tariffs. We've seen this trade war drag on and on. What are you hearing from your members are we seeing prices begin to climb as steel prices have climbed with the input of the tariffs? Well, I'll tell you what, what I hear from my members, you know, to a, to a member is they hate steel tariffs. <laughs> so so that's, a, that's a pretty simple one. Now, what that means in terms of prices, I mean, I, most of the manufacturers in the ag space have been really sensitive to the fact that it's pretty tough out there for farmers and have done their best to maintain those, maintain prices. Uh, and even absorb if there's additional steel costs, absorb those uh, and not necessarily pass those on to the farmers in hopes that, that some of that's going to change. But I'll tell you, we were seeing steel prices increase, beginning to increase, or at least forecasted to increase before the tariffs even, you know, were, were, started, were part of the equation. So some of that pricing just sort of has to be built in. And I think it's, there's just an, uh, you know, an eventuality that equipment is going to have to go up because costs are going up. And it's not just steel, it's transportation, it's labor. It's all of these things coming together are going to, at some point, going to cause some, some increases in the prices of equipment. But again, our members are pretty sensitive to what's going on in farm country, and they're doing their best to, to, to maintain those prices into a level that, that can continue to support this replacement market as long as the farm economy uh, continues to be a little bit soft. Absolutely. And I think that's a, a great segue into my last question. We've kind of talked some bigger picture here, trends, but looking specifically at 2019, obviously we're in a period right now of uncertainty when we look at trade and commodity prices 
Do you expect to see the growth that we saw in 2018 continued into 2019? Or do you think some of those factors like trade and lower commodity prices will finally start to take their toll in the manufacturing and equipment industries? Well, again, I wish I had a crystal ball and could give you a definitive answer. I do, you know, there have been some surprises in 18, uh, you know, month over month and year over year um, that have sort of showed up. The, the, you know, there was some really high jumps uh, throughout the summer months in the month over month uh, tractor sales. We did see sort of some slowing down of that a little bit towards the end of the year. That could be pointing to, uh, you know, perhaps a, uh, a little bit of a softening. But again, then again, as you said uh, with your question, we're dealing with a whole lot of uncertainty there. And some of that uncertainty could get resolved quite quickly. You know, for example, we now have a farm bill that, that gives a safety net. That, that adds some, some certainty to the market. Uh, there's, uh, you know, talk that uh, the RFS is going to allow, uh, uh, you know, kind of get resolved and allow for uh, uh, year-round sales of E15. That adds some certainty to the market from a corn uh, price uh, standpoint. We've seen some nice recovery of the soybean markets over the last month. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen with negotiations with, uh, with China uh, and if they decide to become, uh, you know, big consumers of soybeans again. So I think the, given the uncertainty, uh, it, it, it could go a lot of different ways. But given the uncertainty that we have right now, I think it's safe to say that, that we're kind of at a little bit of a level. Uh, barring any any major changes, any major changes, you know, Katie, bar the door. I'd love to see some some uh, some large equipment sales if we had some some you know a, a big shot in the arm in the ag economy because there is some demand out there. Fantastic. Well, Kurt Blades, the AEM Senior Vice President for Agriculture. We know you're on the road. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, thanks so much for your time. All right. Well, again, that was Kurt Blades, the vice president of agriculture, senior vice president of agriculture there for AEM. Interesting stuff that uh, we're going to see here over the next couple of years. Interesting to talk about the trends and patterns in the equipment industry. Absolutely. It certainly matters. And uh, folks, if you want to get caught up on what could matter to your operation, you can catch up on all of our past episodes of the Ag News Daily podcast by visiting agnewsdaily.com. It will take you right to our new home at the Global Ag Network. And Delaney, if they want to interact with us on social media, how can they do that? Oh, absolutely. We've been having some great conversations lately about karaokeing and the band Meatloaf, which I still don't the claim singer. to know. Whatever. Singer. Meatloaf. Anyways, you can Nationally find us on... recognized, Grammy Award-winning <laughs> actor-singer Meatloaf. Mm, ask me if I care. Anyways. I care. No. <laughs> you can interact with us on Facebook and on Twitter at AgNewsDaily on both, or you can interact with Mike and I directly on Twitter and or Facebook. You can find us just, just search for our names on Facebook or Twitter. Twitter's probably the better one for Mike, but with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.